hi, Mr. Rabbi. It's your best friend in the whole wide world, Father Christian. It, you know, it's 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 uh, it's it's awesome to hear you. I'm yes, really excited awesome. to get this opportunity week after week to to just be in your virtual presence. <laughs> My virtual presence, yes, sir. Um, today we're going to have the virtual presence of someone who uh, is going to help us uh, uh, really parse out and decipher how, as leaders uh, in spiritual communities, how do we approach all the chaos um, that we see in our country uh, and in the world? So, how do you, how do you broker through it, and how well, do you I'm, find? I'm real excited because I think we've got a great, as you said, a great guest. He sent Grader's ice cream to all of us here in South Florida, which is uh, for those that don't know Grader's. Um, I don't know. The only word I can say is Google it um, and get and, and and get your proverbial tushies out Midwest to uh, that that land of Cincinnati, the land of graders. Yeah. So if there's one thing that we want to be able to say that's good about Cincinnati. We can say they have some good ice cream. Um, we apologize for the sports teams, but we do say that the Bengals were one time part of the the Cleveland Empire. So we have to support them in some way. Um, but uh, we, we do have uh, Father Phil Duvall who's with us today, who's going to be talking to us about how, what, what is the wisdom he's gained uh, about leading uh, a congregation uh, during a time when culture would say uh, divisiveness is cool, it's kind of in. But what do we as Judeo-Christians, what do people who are just children of God, how do we approach this? And how do we talk about it? How do we talk about it openly? And are these things that we shouldn't talk about, uh, especially now during this, this wild election time? So I, I think uh, because of our huge budget, we were able to fly him in on Zoom Airlines. And I think he just arrived from the shuttle that we paid for to come from his hotel. Um, it is Father Phil Duvall from Cincinnati. How are you, brother? Welcome to the podcast fantastic thank you for having me yeah man so I, I, I don't I mean I want to turn around and leave after all the things you've said about the great queen city of the midwest the 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 crown jewel of the Buckeye state the nasty natty Cincinnati home of the world famous Cincinnati Zoo and Botanical Gardens and the the big red machine the great American ballpark the first professional baseball team the Cincinnati Red Legs As it, there's so many beautiful things world-class symphony uh, just absolutely stunning architecture, beautiful murals downtown, and just a great place to live. So I, I might just go back there if you're gonna if you're gonna disparage it further, my friend, from the mistake by the lake. But that's your business. <laughs> well done. Actually, if there's any kind of like hate that I'll be doing, it's probably towards Pittsburgh. It's not towards Cincinnati. There's not really any like serious hate between Cincinnati and Cleveland. But that's no. extremely well done. You have won the uh, the admiration of our producer um, with Thank that. You. That was well well done. A way to to, to speak proudly of, of the city that that has that has um, embraced you. So, I, I, I was not uh, I was not born in Cincinnati, but I got here as soon as I could. <laughs> good man all right i think that's a really good uh, uh through line into what you, you, how what what stance you're going to be taking throughout today's episode as really it is uh, uh a lot of it's rooted in love love for your people love for your community love for your city um so you've got love for your city as a hip-hop song says so we are going to jump into this podcast here with father phil we call him father filibuster just for fun uh we got uh, nobody, we got nobody calls me that by the way just christian nobody else just 
just just just me. I'll try to get the rabbi to do it. Uh, today we will still continue with our two segments, brand new segments on today's episode, which are our uh, Yiddish word of the day and our Anglican moment. All that is coming your way here on a priest and a rabbi. Make sure you subscribe. Make sure you leave a comment if your podcast platform allows you to do it, and share it with one person who would really not like the show, and maybe they will because of you delivered it into their hands. All right, God bless you all. We love you, and we will see you in just a couple seconds. A priest, a rabbi, a priest, a rabbi, a priest, a rabbi. The opinions you hear from on this show do not represent WSTU, since they probably regretted over allowing the show on the air in the first place. Nor do they represent Temple Beit Hayam or St. Mary's Episcopal Church, since they also wonder what the heck they did when they called these two men to lead their respective congregations. On that note, sit back, relax, Grab your Bible or Torah and enjoy another episode of A Priest and a Rabbi. All right, all right, all right. How is everyone doing out there? This is Father Christian Anderson from St. Mary's Episcopal Church here in Steerage, Florida. And right next to me is the most dapper, the most gorgeous the most well-to-do and well-haired rabbi you've seen this side of the Jordan River. It is my friend, my good man, my rabbi, Matthew Durbin. Uh, yes, please, applause. Um, I love it. It is good to have you here, sir, on this, on this well, somewhat nice day here in Southeast Florida. Um, and um, how are you holding up? You're, you're, you know, we always like to, at the top of the show, check in with your hair first. Um, and your hair looks a little wild this morning. So I don't know what our producer thinks, but I, I, today I'm going to rate it as wild and crazy. Uh, yeah, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. And, you know, I, I, I love the, on the 103rd uh, episode that we're doing today, uh, I, I love the fact that I am, uh, according to you and, and tell our listeners, you know, the best, the best good looking rabbi east of the Jordan River. I love it. Um, Father Anderson, you are the best looking priest east of the River Thames. Um, it is, it is just awesome, awesome to be, uh, you know, part of this. And, um, you know, I, it, it, it's funny, somebody mentioned to me the other day, you know, how many of these shows have you done? Um, and when I said, you know, this week we're entering into our 103rd, it actually gave me a moment of pause of being able to go through all those topics that we have gone through um, in, in over two years. That has just been, um, it's just been amazing. It's been, a, it's been a lot of fun. It's been challenging. It's been tough. I, I think we're in a, a whole world right now of, of, of needing repair and needing healing and really being able to come together. But it's been uh, this is one of my highlights for, you know, my rabbit and certainly, um, you know, my week. So it's, it's great to see you. I think we just had another moment of our uh, religious moment of the day that we'd like to like with our listeners. We can also learn about a Judeo-Christian uh, uh, heritage here. You just said your rabbinate. Is that right? Yes. Okay. So that's a new one for me. I think I've heard it, but I haven't heard that parsed out. So you say your rabbinate? Yes. So how you would say your ministry, right? How you would say in terms of what you guys do as priests, 
um, as a collective body, as a collective body for rabbis, it is known as the rabbinate. If we, if I was a cantor, for example, it would be the cantorian. Uh, but yeah, certainly the the rabbinate. Okay. Um, and just to say, because so, we were talking earlier about the Yiddish word of the day, yes. right? So as I was reflecting on our 103rd episode today, um, I got very verklempt, overwhelmed with emotion. Great word for the day, verklempt. All right, so that's what we got to do. So I think Evan, so our I producer, wanted Father to. Anderson over this weekend. I expect you to try and use that word verklempt. So today's Yiddish word of the day is verklempt, everyone. Verklempt. And, and what does that mean, Rabbi Durbin? Overwhelmed with emotion. Overwhelmed with emotion, everyone. You need to use it at least one time today. If you got any, if you get anything out of today's episode of a priest and a rabbi, it is your Yiddish word of the day. And we'll have our Anglican moment in the second half of the show, which will be brought to you by our guest, which we didn't tell him he was going to have to do. Um, so speaking of our guest, we need to bring in, you know, a Top Gun today because there is just <laughs> our country, man. It just never keeps us bored. There's always the craziness going on. And, uh, you know, I like to be the goose to this guy's maverick. So we, we, we have uh, <laughs> Father Phil Duvall out of Cincinnati. Oh. I mean, Cincinnati. Forget, sorry, Nasty Natty, baby. Yeah, the, the Cleveland part of myself is coming out. We, we're, if you right. can see us right now, we're both rocking um, Cleveland and, well, Ohio hats. I got the Indians on. He's got uh, the Cincinnati Reds. There is right. uh, prescription medication for that. Um, but we are happy work. to have it. It doesn't here. work. <laughs> we're close so, we're so close to kentucky the 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 prescription down here is just bourbon that's the prescription for being a reds fan and plus a Bengals <laughs> fan also i gotta tell you this is my first time on this show as you all as you both know uh and uh and uh, verklempt is a good word but i i hate i hate to say any gentile my age already knows that word because of coffee talk on saturday night live mike myers used to use that word growing up so it's a good word it's a good word, but I'm assuming that anyone our age, uh, Gentiles and Jews alike, knows this word. But it's a good one. I'm so I'm I'm glad to be here for this for sure. I think you're right. I think that's maybe where we all know that word so well is because I, of coffee of talk. I also appreciate how 103 episodes in, you still are clearly enamored by each other and and love complimenting <laughs> each other's looks. The, the the like we're not even in the same room, and the energy is palpable. People, it's crackling. It's crackling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we haven't even had lunch in a while because we're afraid of spitting COVID pellets at each other, but I, I we'll get, get there. I get it. I get it. It makes sense. Uh, we used to go have lunch like every single day, well, like once a week. And, yeah. um, and well, I tried to invite the rabbi out to the All Hallows Eve service, and afterwards we served all beef hot dogs. And, um, and we did that on purpose so the rabbi would come, but he, we, we're not on his, uh, his dance card yet. So hopefully we'll get there. But then you all had all beef hot dogs anyway, which is what you should have had. So you did the right thing whether or not he showed up. Absolutely. That's right. You know, my favorite advertisement of all time was for Hebrew National Hot Dogs. It was a billboard in my hometown. I lived in, I grew up in Orange County, California, and it was in Orange, California, and there was a billboard and it had a picture of the Bible and a picture of Hebrew National Hot Dogs. And it said, you've read the book, now eat the food. Oh, that's good. And I was yeah, like, still good. to this day, I'm like, that's the best ad I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. I never knew you grew up in Orange County, California. That was one of my, I grew up there till I was a teenager and then I moved back east to New Hampshire. So I've, I've lived in a couple different weird places, but yes. And now I'm in Cincinnati. Okay, so you spent your weekends going to Disneyland? 
no, no. So my age, when I grew up, some, like by the time you and I were there at the same time, like Southern California, people like from Southern California all had passes and would go regularly, but that wasn't normal for me growing up. So I would go like, but I would go once or twice a year, but I'd go like right when it opened and then stay until like I passed out at midnight. Like it was like the whole, like have a Disney pass and go for half the day and like ride one ride and maybe go shopping to me is absurd. I'm like, no, you go early when it's still dark and you get in line and you run to your first ride and you ride it as many times as possible before the line gets too long. And then you just keep riding things until you can't see straight anymore. That's how I understand Disneyland. My wife thinks I'm absurd. Mm. So yeah, yeah, Rabbi Durbin and his girls and uh, Rabbi Durbin and the girls. That means his wife, who's oh, also okay. Rabbi Andy. I wasn't sure if that was like a vocal, daughters. a vocal group or. Yeah. Yeah. It's like missional voices. It's a boy band. Right. <laughs> um, so, so, so Rabbi Durbin has the pass for Disney World, but you have a special pass, right? It's like after 4 p.m. pass. Yeah, well, we well, I mean, right now we we did away with them just because of obviously the situation. You know, we're not we're not uh, fully comfortable traveling out, but we did uh, we did a, a, a pass to Epcot, um, the four p.m. pass, which is four o'clock <laughs> till till close, half price, um, um, and it was great. Uh, you know, it was great. We when we had the time to go out, um, I never thought I'd be a seasons pass holder. I was lucky when I was a kid. I went down to Disney Disney World, I think like twice in my life with my family. It was it was magical. It was great. Um, my kids, I, I I don't want my kids to have a sense of entitlement or a sense of um, well, we live here, let's just go there type thing. But um, yeah, the, oh. the the path was good. I, my heart still is with the Magic Kingdom. I think it is uh, just just an amazing, yeah, an amazing place. Wait, are you so how close are you to to Disney? Uh, you know, door to door, about two hours. Oh, okay. Hour and a half. So, I, I mean, literally grew up 15 minutes from Disneyland. Like, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, it was, like, you can hear the fireworks at night from our house. Wow. That's great. Right. Which I, I always imagine actually living in Anaheim where Disneyland is and just being like, oh, every night fireworks. Can you imagine every night? Can you imagine every night fireworks? Yeah. Like, yeah. In your backyard. So, speaking of fireworks, uh, yeah. how speaking about America? So we we uh fireworks in our congregation. So that's today's topic. Dumpster fire that is. Right. So so how how do we uh, as 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 reason why we're bringing on um, Father Filibuster is that we we want to talk about how do you you know Phil is it leads a a pretty a pretty uh, I would say a pretty decently sized congregation for the Episcopal Church, right? You you guys yeah, you guys are uh, yeah, you guys are a yeah, large it's, church. It's, it's yeah, it's a larger church in the, within the Episcopal tradition. Sure. Yeah. So you and, and you guys are a, a purplish congregation. That's right. Um, and, and you're so and you're dealing with all this. That's what we want to talk about today. How do how do is folks who are in synagogues and in churches and uh, we need to check with our Muslim brothers what it's like over to mosque and stuff. But like, how are you even going to approach this weekend knowing there's so much darn uncertainty? Oh. There's so many crazy narratives going on. Yeah. Do, do you touch it? Do you leave it alone? Are you like us in um, this show, just trying to run away from it and just trying to talk about Anaheim and, right, and right, 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 right. Um, so I have a reputation of not staying away from things, right? Um, That's right. That's I, why we I, wanted I mean, you on the show. Within my congregation, I have a I have a reputation of. Um, so, so historically, our congregation is a bipartisan congregation, and 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 self consciously so, describing itself in that way as politically diverse, um, and and. 
And one of the ways that they've, they've managed that throughout the years is essentially by saying, well, we're just not going to talk about it. Mm. And, what, <laughs> yeah. what, uh, and it worked. I mean, genuinely, in terms of their relationship with each other, uh, beautiful relationships across political divides have been built. Um, uh, uh, you know, very liberal and very conservative people uh, love each other dearly in this congregation and, and, and hold each other in prayer and Bible, study the Bible together. That's all real. So, so it's not artificial. It's a thing that I've seen and have been really impressed by and also have made the decision that we have to change that. Um, so that's the, that's the kind of like thing that I do. I come in and look at something and go, that looks really good. Let's mess it up. Um, the, the reality I think was that I've, I, I feel very convicted at this point that, um, that we are meant to be a congregation that allows for space across different political beliefs and understandings and perspectives. And at the same time to say, I love you no matter what, so long as we don't talk about specific things is a really artificial love and doesn't, and doesn't mirror the love of God that we experience in, in, uh, in our faith community and, and, and the, the, the love of God we're supposed to experience in our relationship with that God. Um, the, the God of our scriptures um, insists upon our, 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 our giving him our wholeness, all of ourselves. Um, and, and I mean, I, I, think, I think about, I think back to, uh, to Genesis and I think about Abraham and I think about when God calls Abraham, what does Abraham says? He says, Hineni, here I am, behold me right? And you see the prophets say the same thing. And in Luke, you see Mary say this, here I am, behold me, I am yours. And it's that language, and Rabbi, please correct me if I'm wrong about this, but it doesn't just mean I'm present here and accounted for. It means I am here fully and wholly for you. I am at your bidding, at your service, right? Is that a fair sort of... I mean, I think, I think even when you look at the word itself, hineni, right? I am here all of me behold me right my mind my body my yep. soul all of it is committed and directed right. towards god um absolutely and, and that what you just said is what i believe our christian communities are meant to actually embody um and so how can i do that if i don't bring my whole self to the table so we've we've desired to make a shift where i've said we're going to talk and create space for conversation around politics but not with you know not uh, not not just we're going to become a politically liberal congregation or we're going to become a politically conservative congregation. Um, but I will say anyone my age or younger who is still at church or who has come to church has an expectation that we engage in these things honestly. People huh. who are my age or a little bit older may have a little bit of space for that to be left out because they've used to growing up in a mainline tradition that it's not been touched as much. That's been pretty common in a lot of our traditions and a lot of our churches. But anyone my age or younger, they're not going to co come to a church that does not engage in its in the community around us and in the world around us fully and totally. And so, the, so there's been a real interesting, I see a generational divide even more than I see a political or partisan divide there. Mm. Yeah, it's just two things culturally that from other generations, you still, yeah, you don't talk about uh, religion, you don't talk right. about uh, uh, You talk about sex, and religion, and politics, right? Or and now I've heard people from the other generation say, now you got to add race. You don't talk to if you don't talk about those three things, we could all be right. good, right? Because so and so, of course, race is one of the major things that we have addressed in this church in the last two years, and it's been a real lightning rod. And it's been and I don't have I'm not here to give any advice about it because I'm not sure we're doing it right. But but we're talking about it and we're trying to seek understanding and follow some of the path laid before us by our national church's endeavors around becoming beloved community, which is a, a long term commitment to racial justice, healing, and reconciliation. And, 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 and Reverend Phil, you know, in your community, you know, in Cincinnati, I mean, is it, is it something that you preach, you know, from, 
from 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 the pulpit, so to speak, or is it something that you've created, you know, educational opportunities for members of your church to come in during the week to, you know, for adult ed classes or something to be able to engage in that conversation, or is it something you reserve, you know, for Sunday when we know we have the massive population? Uh, it it okay. So so it started it started really kind of low key in my leadership saying how are we going to address our the, the whiteness, the true, the real whiteness of this congregation and what does that look like? I wasn't interested particularly in a political conversation at the time when I said this, this was about three and a half years ago to my, to my leadership, but how are we going to address that? And then, and then Charlottesville happened. And to not preach on Charlottesville would have been, um, I think, a dereliction of duty mm-hmm. to, to not speak uh, openly about about um, white supremacy and 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 its and its insidiousness and its evil, um, and where Christ is in the midst of that struggle, would have been um, I think would have been cowardice, um, tempting of course as most cowardly things are right, um, but 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 so that I preached about that and it was the first time I've ever used the term white supremacy in a sermon. I just I mean it wasn't even I'm one of those folks who was like oh white supremacists are you know like men in torches yelling things or wearing white hoods. That's white supremacy. Like it's been a two year journey where I've learned to embrace that term to understand how it, how it soaks into all sorts of aspects of our, of our country and who we are in our identities, right? The air that we breathe, so to speak. But at the time I brought it up then and the response that I got from several people, overall, it was a, it was a well-received sermon, but, but, but overall, but I got a lot of like, we need to start addressing this. And when we do, let me know I'm in. Hmm. And so we started to devote, um, and then right around after, about after that, a few months after that, our, our national church came out with this, rolled out this program, which you may have talked about on the show before, Becoming Beloved Community. I know Christian knows it really well. Um, and it's a long-term commitment to racial justice, healing, and reconciliation. And we started to just follow it and like mm-hmm. teach people. Started, so my Lenten series for one, so, so Rabbi Matt, during, during, you know, during the season before Easter, we will, churches will often do like special series. Um, um, I'm not sure why, but I think we, it's just like, because we always have. And, um, and uh, so we devoted the first, two years ago, we devoted Lent to the, to the introduction of this, of this commitment and said, it's not a program. It's a commitment. And we're going to look at how it impacts and influences our whole church. We're going to be about recognizing our, our, the part we're going to play in dismantling white supremacy and what that looks like. Hmm. And, and then I've basically made the first, I've kind of laid out the first five years of our commitment to that racial work now, but of course, notice I haven't said anything about politics in this, right? But it has been perceived by many as our church becoming liberal. Hmm. Right. That's a yeah. really tough thing for me. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, well, one, because historically I have not identified myself as a liberal. That just let me start there. I don't identify as liberal, um, and I grew up in a very conservative, politically conservative household, um, uh, and I never really rebelled against that. Like I, I didn't like I would I haven't called myself conservative lately in the last maybe ten years or so. But, but I, I never like said like that's it. I'm becoming a liberal or whatever. Like I just that's not been my mo. But the idea that dealing with race makes you liberal or talking about race openly and using terms like systemic racism and white supremacy means you're liberal, uh, means we have a lot of work to do just in how we talk about this with our congregations. And, so, we- and, and, and I think it's such, a, such, such an important 
A, I think linguistically how we understand language. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I mean, look, if we look at the race issue, we look at women's issues, why have they been politicized? Because at the end of the day, and I know we've talked about this before, yeah. um, and, I, and I know it's in both of our faith traditions, if we're all created Elohim, in God's image, it means that I am to be loved and to love others, irrespective of lifestyle changes and choices that we make. It, it, it's about the humanity of it. And I think yeah. today our country is eroding away and forgetting that central core piece that makes America great, which is our compassion, our understanding, right. our ability to engage in conversation with somebody perhaps that I do not agree with and just the challenges that you know are there. And so I think that what you just said is, is exactly when we talk about how do I approach, what's my approach to when we talk about these things is um, I, I consistently talk, as you just said, about um, recognizing the humanity in others and humanizing. I've actually begun to use the language of humanizing. We talk about dehumanizing people, and I talk about humanizing people. That, in fact, the work of Jesus on the, in the world, uh, um, when you look at the stories around him, that he actually humanized people. That he insisted on their humanity, and by insisting on their humanity, was insisting on what you just said, the image of God present within them. Calling right, them daughters, so, calling them sons, right? So when you in, when in, within your congregation, and because mm -hmm. I've I on Facebook, I've always appreciated about you, Phil, is that you go right into it, and you don't, you're not worried about the hot topics, and you when you well, do I'm it, very, though, I'm very worried about it, but I do it anyway. <laughs> okay, well, God bless you then. No, I'm that's not, even, that's I'm even, not fearless. Even I'm not fearless. I, I tremble when I type that stuff. Okay, well, that's even more impressive then. Um, and now I feel more human as well too, because I'm always like, man, how does he? Oh yeah. I, I would be. I would be. My head would be racing as well. So, but but when you, your response and your engagement is always well informed, you're not just throwing out crazy opinions and trying right. to rally rail people. You 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 are you engage, you dialogue. So, how does that translate to your work? And the congregation. What what if when you decided to come in and look at how your congregation just doesn't talk about it and at the same time doesn't talk about, it, but at least has very healthy relationships? And so what you explained at the top of the show was actually, well, that doesn't sound bad. So now you're gonna risk a little bit and say, let's mix it all up because I think we need to be for you, you gave us the theology of why we need to be more tr honest and transparent with each other. How did you start to create the space to say, let's now, now let's be fully honest and let's start talking about some of these hot topics, uh, especially political topics. I start, I start with love always. Um, our scriptures tell us that God is love. And uh, I believe that we are meant to create communities that are founded on that love. The, the language in Ephesians is that we are rooted and grounded in love and that that rooting and grounding is, an, is both an anchoring reality, but a nourishing. I mean, the, the, the roots help nourish the plant. And so our nourishing ourselves in love uh, uh, gives us the opportunity to reach out. And when we reach out, what do we reach out in? Love. And, and so what do I, where do I genuinely start is um, I'm in love with my congregation. Like I love, I love them. They are, they are amazing, beautiful, wonderful people who teach me so much about who God is in the world about how to really care for one another. They teach me so much about what church is. And so anything that we talk about, about changing anything about the church is not, uh, we suck and we need to get better. Um, it's not, boy, boy, do you guys need to change. I've, I'm a lot of clergy that I know, and I don't know if this is true in your tradition, uh, Rabbi Matt, but in, in, in our tradition, for sure, um, clergy will sometimes come into a congregation thinking it's their job to fix the place. Right. And there's a, there can be a really unspoken adversarial relationship 
Somebody you should have on this show at some point, Christian, is Alyssa Newton, who's the head of the Congre College for Congre Congregational Development in um, the Seattle area of Washington and the uh, Canon for Congregational Development in, in the Diocese of Olympia. And she talks about, she told the story once about how um, she's never met a congregation that didn't love their church, where the people didn't love their church. People love their congregations, even when they're messed up, even when they're sad, even when there's problems, the people love their church. She said, I've met plenty of clergy who didn't love their congregations. Right. <laughs> and that blew me away when I heard her say it. We knew it was coming, but then when she said it, I was like, whoa. Hmm. And so, and so starting from the, like, man, y'all better love your people. They didn't come here to not be loved and they love each other and they love their church. They love their community. So the, the leaders of their community better darn well love. I mean, the, the, the painful thing that we're seeing in our, in our, in our country right now, there's a lot of painful things, of course, but one of the most obvious ones is we have a president that doesn't actually love his country. He doesn't love his country. That's a big, that's a big statement. That's a big, okay. statement. that's part of his platform. His, it's, his it platform. is. And I, and I mean, it's in, and, 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 and I want to say this, I'm not talking about his partisan politics. I'm not talking about his identity as a Republican, actually. I'm talking about the fact that he has demonstrated time and time again that what he cares first and foremost about is himself. And and I, I'm not, I'm literally not talking about his policies. I'm I'm talking about the way he speaks, the way he acts, the things he does. And so this um, is. And so and so we see what happens. You just said that they're crazy times. Uh, well, they are because you see what happens when the leader of a people doesn't love those people, but the people want that love. We want to be loved and cared for, and we're not. And you see what's happening right now. You talk about the erosion. I think a big part of it is is being led by something other than love. I really do. So this is an awesome launching point to how we go deeper into um, in the second half of the show. We're going to take a little bit of a break here just to hear from the people who make this all possible, help us fly in people like Reverend Phil and pay for him to stay at five-star hotels awesome. and all that stuff. That steak um, was fantastic last night. Thank you. Yes, that's, uh, that, that was on the rabbi. He, he, he sent that over. We are we four tables down. Uh, but we're going to take a little break, so we're going to come back and go deeper with that uh, on uh, how to lead during chaotic times and the one key being love, that the, the leader needs to love uh, their community. And if that love is not there, that's where the erosion can happen and dysfunction can follow. So you're here on A Priest and a Rabbi. We'll be right back in just a couple of minutes. You're listening to a priest and a rabbi podcast. If you haven't done so yet, make sure to subscribe and please leave a rating and a review, five-star rating and a positive review if you can. We certainly appreciate it. That is the best way to make sure that others out there just like you can find this podcast. If you want to get in contact with Father Christian and Rabbi Durbin, you can do so by emailing a priest and a rabbi at gmail.com. And the absolute best way to get a hold of the fellas is to call into the radio show. This podcast airs live on the radio every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. on WSTU 1450. And you can listen live online at WSTU 
com. And if you want to join the show, you can call in to 772-220-9788. That's 772-220-WSTU. Hey, everyone. This is Father Christian here on uh, Priest and a Rabbi. So happy for you to be here on this podcast with us. And, and I want to uh, let you know that I have uh, started a uh, YouTube channel called Your Favorite Christian, and you can check it out on YouTube. And uh, every Monday, I drop a new episode, and it's always through the lens of faith, but taking on different topics such as dating, relationships, marriage, pop culture. Uh, I've done one recently where I went out to the art show and talked about how do we find our relationship with God through all the what all the latest artists are doing. Um, last week was what do women really want um, in a man uh, and interviewing different people to be a part of that. So uh, please check that out on YouTube. Subscribe, like, share, uh, put on the notifications so you get that every Monday. Um, I also want to let you know of uh, we this podcast wouldn't be here if it wasn't for a generous donor from St. Mary's Episcopal Church who wishes to remain anonymous. All he asked, though, was that um, the information gets out that St. Mary's Episcopal Church here in Stewart has a healing center. And so you can call if you're looking for a counselor or someone to be there for you during a challenging time. And you can call the church at 772-287-3244. We also have a group of Stephen ministers who have been trained over 50 hours of training to be with you and walk with you during a time of crisis. They are not counselors. They are trained just to be more of the presence um, of, of Christ or and, and walk with you during a time of crisis, whether it's a, a good crisis of having, oh my gosh, my daughter's about to get married, or if there's something a little bit heavier. So give us a call, 772-287-3244, and I thank that anonymous donor who uh, makes this all possible. All right, God bless you, and enjoy the rest of the podcast. Welcome back to part two of A Priest and a Rabbi. If you are listening live on 1450 AM, it is great to have you here. My name is Father Christian, and next to me is the best darn looking rabbi this side of the Jordan River. It is Rabbi Matthew Durbin. With us today is Father Filibuster, Phil Duvall, all the way from Cincinnati. Uh, and he is talking to us and joining our show today about how to lead in chaotic times, uh, specifically how to lead spiritual communities. And in the first half of the show, uh, uh, Father Phil was talking about just the, how the, the starting point in our scriptures are, uh, support this is that the love that you must have for your community. That's a lot of communities who love their church, love their synagogue, but does the leader love them equally? Or does the leader secretly really have issues with some of them or half of them and is looking to change them and fix them because they're just, they don't get it. Well, that just speaks to what we think love is, right? We, we have a twisted idea that if I love you, I'm supposed to fix you. Mm. Uh, that's not just religious, that's people. And it's a really unhealthy understanding of love. Um, there's this, Rabbi, you, Rabbi, you've got something to say about this. I can feel it. Well, you know, it's just, it's just interesting because we were always told in rabbinical school, you know, the biggest mistake that rabbis make when you go into communities is to do too much change mm-hmm. on a culture that is not ready for it. So, you know, we were always told in rabbinical school, when you go into a community, think about your goals on maybe one or two things you'd like to not change, but you'd like to improve on. That really can be your, your gift that you help a congregation through, but rapid change too quickly 
leads to resentment and it leads to people not fully having trust in their leadership. Right. Um, and I think that it's, it's, I absolutely agree with you. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you because if you come in uh, trying to change them, you haven't gotten a chance to know them. You haven't fallen in love with them. And again, Paul says, my commandment is love one another. This is the fulfillment of the commands. And Jesus says this, and who's more important than Paul, it turns out, um, also says this, this is, this is the deal that the fulfillment of commandment is the loving of one another. And, and that's how we experience it. And so when a clergy person comes in, um, and thinks I'll love you once you get to be a certain thing, or we'll, let's get ourselves to be. But it's all it speaks to our larger cultural problem of believing that love is something we are supposed to earn, mm-hmm. and that if we don't live a certain way, we we're, we are not worthy of love. And um, some Christians would counter this by saying, "No, no, we're all worthy of love." I actually counter this by saying, "There's no such thing as being worthy of love. It doesn't exist. Worth." is not part of the conversation when it comes to love. Worthy or unworthy is specious and unhelpful. You either love someone or you don't. And if you love them, you want to help them become, you want to help them and support them in becoming more themselves. You don't want to change them. Hmm. Okay, so let's go back to the time, because you wanted to change or at least introduce change to your congregation about talking about so when I, hot topics. So when I came to this congregation, they had their parish profile, right, Christian? They said they put this out. I don't know if they do this in synagogues too, but they put out the thing of like, this is what our congregation is like, and this is the clergy person we're looking for, right? Um, and I was much shorter in, than they were looking for, but there's not much, you know, but Christian was not ready for the job yet. So it's, it's just the way that it is. Um, um, so, so in their list of things that they said, we believe that, that the Holy Spirit is moving us towards these things. One of the things they mentioned was that they, they thought that they should be a congregation that had more socioeconomic and, and cultural diversity. It was there. They acknowledged that in their parish profile, we know this is an area that we believe that we are meant to grow. So I didn't come in and say, you know, right. I'm, I'm here. You guys are pretty white, right? I didn't make it any less white. Look at me. Right. So, uh, um, what, what I did was, I, as I got to know them, I said, I notice that this, this, you've said this matters to you. Well, it matters to me too. So what does it look like for us to truly engage in this work? And we developed um, a vision statement for our church. Hmm. And in that vision statement, part of what is present in that is our desire to grow with people of all these different age, race, gender, sexual orientation, socioeconomic situation, political persuasion. What does it look like to be growing in those areas? Well, to be honest, if we're going to grow in those areas, we have to talk about what it means that we're not those areas right now, growing in all those areas, having real conversations about that. So for how me, did you do that? What do you mean? So how do you start to have those conversations where part of that work is also looking in the mirror? I, I mean, I think, saying, it's, I think it's just saying, like, what is it, framing it with, what does it look like for us to live into the vision that we've, we've cultivated? We have cultivated a vision for this congregation as a, as a congregation. Now, what does it look like for us to live into that? And it looks like partnering with other leaders in the congregation and asking them what matters to them and what they believe is necessary. I mean, I had a lot of people in this congregation saying, when are we going to talk about the things we're not talking about? I didn't just wake up one day and say, it's time for you all to really address this. It, okay. it was, it was mm-hmm. when are we going to talk about these things? And I was much slower than some people wanted me to be. Okay, so you were just capitalizing and just fulfilling what you, there was an undercurrent of this. And you said, great, I'll be the leader. I listen to you and I'll be bold enough and courageous enough to do it. So let's talk about what is the cost of when you start having these conversations about systematic racism, the cost of, let's say, I'm sure in the last four years and right now, talking about when you see things that need to be called out in our political landscape, I'm sure there's a cost where people would say, hey, 
father, you're getting too political or father, you're getting partisan father, you're getting divisive father, sure. focus on Jesus. Don't focus on, you know, yep. uh, with Trump's speech last night. Yep. Uh, for the record, you've mentioned that earlier. I didn't watch his speech last night. Uh, I've got uh, I've got some some measures of self care and 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 borders that I'm creating boundaries that I'm creating for myself, and I'm and I'm 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 done for now listening to him. Um, if 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 he does indeed win, um, I will find I will go back to finding ways to pay attention to what he's saying. Um, but from now until that's de- decided, uh, I've, I'm giving myself some space. So one of the things I'm doing is not listening to a voice that I don't consider to be helpful to the situation. All right. So fair enough. So the, but this weekend though, can I ask you this? Uh, oh, you're going to love my or, answer. You're going to love my answer to this Christian. Oh, you don't, you're not, it's not, you have a guest preacher this weekend. <laughs> my associate Melanie Slane is preaching on Sunday. Oh, well, so Melanie Slane is a, it's a colleague of ours. Yeah. Who's, who's her, if she's like her, her husband, she's not afraid of the big topic. Silence. She's not afraid at all. She'll go, she'll go right into it. And I trust her completely. Well, okay. So what does that look like? So let's say, you know, rabbi and myself or your, or your, or your mentees and you're mentoring us. No. On approaching the pulpit this weekend, we both have purple congregations. We're in Southeast Florida. Yep. We're 45 minutes from the White House in the, in the South, yep. with, which is Mar-a-Lago. What does that look like? And so we don't create a firestorm, but we address what needs to be addressed from a, from a, a religious and, uh, I guess, spiritual perspective on this. Um, or do you just not talk about it, right? I mean, so, so what, what Again, I think your... to not talk about it would be a dereliction of duty. People would, people, and by the way, that erodes trust. When, th- when people, when by and large, when people's lives are preoccupied by something and you ignore it, yes, there are a couple of people who will say, thank God we didn't talk about that. I'm so tired of it. Yes, you'll always have those people. But by and large, people will go, wow, dodged a bullet. Yeah. Ducked, didn't go for it. I was wondering there what- are, There are also subtle ways mm-hmm. of addressing the larger issues in ways you know, that is crafted that, um, you know, that we use so it's less divisive, right? I, I mean, sure. it's interesting, interesting, to take, interesting to take the situation that we find ourselves in today to try and get that angle that says, look, I'm not talking politics. And maybe I am, but, but right now I'm talking more social values. That's right. the, the, the issues that we care about. I mean, look, as a rabbi and as a human being, I care about honesty. I care about integrity. I care about the self. I care about what other people are experiencing and how I can best facilitate and try and help the process in some way. We've seen time and time again throughout um, uh, our country that that is being whittled away and being pitted on one another. You know, I mean, so the other day, my neighbor is is, is very different um, politically minded than my family is. I don't think you need 35 American flags on your lawn, but you know, that's his choice. And as I 30, got out- 34 on, doesn't cover it. Absolutely, right? As I got out on Sunday morning, I looked at him and I said, you know what, man? Good luck. Good luck, good luck tonight. <laughs> with this look of, are you kidding me? And I said, look, we're both gonna wake up tomorrow morning. The right. sun's still gonna shine here in Florida. Right. At the end of the day, it's about being civil. I may not agree with the policies or tactics that your certain candidate or person adheres to, but you know what? At least I can engage in a healthy and a constructive conversation. I think we've lost the art of communicating. I think we've lost the art of patience. I think we've lost the ability to see people in their humanness and to be able to really listen. Yes. So I guess, I guess, I guess, Reverend Phil, my question. What do we share? Go ahead. 
is, you know, when you take those social issues or those social challenges in our country, um, do you find yourself filtering? Oh, like we and then yeah. we go back and go, oh, that's Not, a little. I filter a lot. Um, I think as people don't think I filter, but I filter a lot. Um, um, first of all, so as a, as a, as a, as a Episcopal priest who preaches in an Episcopal congregation, I have all sorts of filters. Uh, we have a very specific lectionary, a reading schedule that we use. I stick to the, here are the readings for the week. I don't do, I don't, I don't deviate from those. So here are the readings. Um, I have made a personal commitment to preach Christ and him crucified. I have a, a, the filter, uh, the, the limitation of realizing that I'm preaching to a very specific group of people, and I want to preach to how this gospel or this message or one of these scriptures is connected directly to them and their lives. Those are all filters. Those are all limitations that I've gladly accepted. And, and I do so through an Anglican lens, through, through, a, through an Anglican hermeneutic. Um, maybe that's our fancy word for the day. It's not an Anglican word, but it's a, it's a good word for people, right? Like how I approach... Um, reading scriptures um, is, is it, all of that is, is a filter. All of that is a lens. And then, yes, I look out and realize I love these people and I have a responsibility to care for them. And again, that responsibility is not primarily to stand up here and, and feel good about myself by saying the thing they don't want to hear. Like that's not, so I look out and I see people who want to know that God is present in their lives, that they have a place and a purpose in this world, that they have a calling, that their lives matter, and that their work in this world has a purpose. They care about that. And that crosses ideology and partisanship and all of that. And so what I do, and I am not preaching this Sunday, but but one thing I, I did, I had a, I had, I do an office hours, Zoom office hours, or um, in uh, on YouTube, I, I do this where I talk and people type questions to me and I respond. It's called Ask a Priest. Uh, it's not anywhere near as good as what you guys got going on, but it's what I got, what I'm doing. And 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 we did one the day after the election, and I'm talking with people. And what what are we talking about? Like the fact that everyone across the board woke up exhausted on Wednesday and uncertain and wondering what was next. And everyone that I know, conservative, liberal, anyone was disappointed, right? Except for my brother who's like, yes, gridlock, right? But, but there are those people, there are those contrarians. But by and large, I, recognizing the uncertainty and the, the exhaustion we are all experiencing. You know, when you asked me to be on the show, you talked about being a, a, a leading a congregation during chaotic times. And my first thought wasn't even the election, believe it or not, even though it was the same week. It was, it was the, it's just this pandemic. It's been so, it's so, it's so tiring and it's, it's traumatic in a long-term sort of, it's, it's traumatic in a long-term trauma way. We think of trauma oftentimes as like, as like a, an, an event, a car crash incident, but we forget that chronic illness is a trauma. We forget that, you know, cancer is not a moment. Cancer is like when you, when you're battling cancer, it can be, it can be years that the trauma sustained over time in that way is real and exhausting. And, and that's what we, that's what we're talking about, right? Like when you look at Job, right? Like we talk about the first couple chapters and how traumatic they are for him. But to me, the real trauma is him, is him having to endure days and days and days of his friends telling him all the things that are wrong with him. Like that's much more traumatic than, than you know, like, so like we're all exhausted and we're all scared and we're all uncertain 
and we are all asking existential questions about what it means to be human, what it means to be Christian or Jewish, what it means to be a person of any kind of faith at all in this world right now, what it means to be American. That is something worth talking about. And there's ways to talk about that that are not just about how our is not my favorite or, or, or how, you know, whatever, or how this either way, or like how you should be voting for Trump or how you should be voting for Biden or how, you know, there are ways to talk about this that are not shying away from the subject, but that are in fact penetrating the, the deepest parts of our hearts where we all live. And I think that's what we look for is how do we do that? And sometimes that requires us to say things that make people uncomfortable. And other times it causes us to acknowledge a commonality and a unifying reality about us that, that does transcend all the things we're talking about. What, what the rabbi said about our shared humanity, that's real, you know, and we can be prophets of that human, humanizing, you know? Yeah, and, I, and I, it goes back to the first half of the show, which is a cornerstone of everything and any kind of work, whether you're going to be sermonizing or you're going to be leading a small group or you're going to be approaching a new program at the church, it has to be baptized in love. It has to be just, just steeped and rooted in the love that you have for your congregation. If you are judging your congregation or assuming your congregation is uh, not getting it um, or uh, lost, and I'm here to shepherd them and lead them or correct them or challenge them, uh, then it, it, you will, it will become potentially divisive and you'll lose people. You'll just but, lose them. But, they'll just, they'll just but, tune out. But if, if, in that event, if, you're, if your congregation is saying to you, I just don't get it, is that not, is the responsibility not on us as clergy because we're not communicating That's right. as effectively and as transparently That's right. as we can. That's right. I think 100%. But if you want to call out to, so, but, so, but, uh, okay, so Father Phil, during this last, let's just say over this last, just this last year, I mean, there's been a lot of things that have been, depending on what side of the aisle you fall on, I mean, some people would say some of the actions that have happened from our political leaders, and especially from our president, some would say it's bold, it's courageous, it's straightforward, it's honest. I had someone um, in my office was, yesterday saying exactly that. He loves our yeah. country, he's doing what's right. And then you might have other people in the other aisle who say, like, it's a disgrace. Um, it's disrespectful. Mm -hmm. It's a horrible model for our children. Mm -hmm. um, and it's extremely divisive and chaotic. So now you have, and, and both will believe full, wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly on that. Um, and so if you want to, if you notice something, let's say you're watching an action of, uh, let's say our president, and you don't agree with how he approached something, just from a leadership perspective, from a humanitarian perspective, do you feel like you need to call that out knowing that they're right in your congregation as people listen they're just going to peel in two and people are like there goes phil he's getting political or he's making this why is he making a statement about the president right. like do, do you feel the need to do that or have you felt the need i i don't actually i don't feel the okay. need to micromanage every single and pick apart every single thing that my, that the president or anyone else says i i actually again then going back to i just don't find that like a healthy way of living if every time some the president or anyone else did something, I felt the need to give people my opinion, I think then then I'd be making the church about myself and not about God, hmm. and uh, and then people would be right to leave me and leave the place. That'd be right. Hmm. If if it's if every it's like well I'm reading the, what I've got to figure out what my opinion is on this thing so that I can make sure people know what I think. I'm really interested in being guided by the gospel and by the scriptures that are given to us on any given Sunday, and then saying. 
what are, since these are in front of us, what, what, where do they ruminate? How do they connect us to what's going on in the world, right? I, um, we have this in our, in our prayer book, Rabbi, we have this thing called the Great Litany, which was written in 1544. Mm-hmm. And it was the first rite in the English language written by this guy, Cramner. And, um, um, and uh, I bring it up to say, we prayed this litany together as a church the night before the election. And 500 years later, or 480 years later, whatever the number is, the, the, we're still praying for the same things and you don't have to try to make it relevant. Lord, please spare us from plague, pestilence, and famine. Please spare us from oppression and violence. Please spare us from division and schism. Like that, like, like, it's literally, we are praying for the same things. Now people, now, so do I need to have, do I need to then stop and go, let's all finger point and figure out where this, where this, no, I don't have to say anything. We prayed the prayer. It's obvious, right? So part of me is like leaning on the richness of our tradition and trusting that people are smart. We're not all smart. We're, a lot of us are total disasters and, and, and I get that, but. Just, just so that just so that I'm clear, because I, I I think actually what you what, what you just mentioned actually was, was at least for me I've never heard that before and and fascinated by it yeah. because from a Judaic perspective and certainly we just ended our high holy days yeah we have in our high holy day liturgy what we call the Vidui our confession yes that says forgive me God if I had been you know dishonest in business practices right forgive me God if I had been uh, less than less right. than human. Forgive me, God, for being xenophobic. You know, and it's just so interesting. Yeah. You know, we use this liturgy yeah. and we use these words. And you know, as, as as look as a rabbi, as a human being, as a Jew, I say, don't just don't just say the words. Internalize them, use right. them, right? Because at the end of the day, the, the, you know, I stand there on the pulpit as I say these words. They are personal. They're collective because we've all made these sins. No, you're right. Yes, you know, and and I think I think you know, my wife and I have a tradition every single year. Uh, just before Yom Kippur, is I will recite these to my wife. I am sorry if I have taken you for granted. I am sorry oh, yeah. if I have been whatever. But I That's think good. the way that the way that you 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 used it, especially with having you know members of your community of saying these, yeah. you know, I, I mean that must be a really a cathartic way of trying to get through very difficult times. Yeah. But also, how do you approach the one who says these words are great? They're impactful. They're meaningful. But how do I get those on the periphery to understand that there's something larger than ourselves in our midst? Are you asking how I respond to the people on the periphery? Or are you asking me when someone says to me, how do I get them to understand? I think a bit of both. I mean, okay. how, do we, how do we reach those on the periphery? And how do we, not that, again, it goes back to, you know, Reverend Phil, your, your, your question. We're not here to fix. I'm not right. here to, to make you change your mind. So if someone's on the periphery, I'll probably bake them some bread and bring it to them. <laughs> And I'll, or I'll probably have them out. But back in the day, I would have them for lunch, although I've been having people for lunch in my backyard. So when someone has a problem with me and wants to talk about the things I'm saying, I'll invite them over to my house for lunch. And we'll sit in my backyard and the dog will be running around and we'll eat sandwiches and I'll give them a loaf of bread I've just baked and remind them how important they are to me that I love them. And if we need to argue, we'll argue. Or if they just need to be heard and vented and, and vent. The person that talked to me yesterday just wanted to vent. They didn't want my opinion. They didn't ask for it. They didn't ask me to correct them about the president or anyone else. They wanted my opinion or they wanted to vent. And I listened and that was valuable to our relationship. And I didn't need to correct them. That's not why they were there. They were there to be heard and to know that they could do that 
in a safe space and even to tell me the things that bothered them about me in a safe space. And it wasn't abusive. Just to be clear, it was a, it was a very kind and heartfelt thing, even as this person was upset with me about certain things. It was beautiful in its own pain. So to recognize their humanity and their need and try to address the actual need and not what I've decided their needs are is huge. And to fundamentally in my behavior act as if they do matter and they do belong to me and that their differences with one another and with me aren't things that are going to keep us out of love and relationship. Yeah. That's, that's bake them some bread. Yeah. Share a meal with them and listen and don't always feel like it's your job to correct them and be honest when they're right that you shouldn't have maybe said that thing and then keep going, I yeah. think. And I, 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 right. I love that Reverend Phil because I think it goes back to that initial conversation about, about humanness. Yes. Right? I'm a big enough person to say, if you have an issue with me, let me, let me hear it. Yep. I am validating it. And at the end of the day, if I can change or improve on something maybe I, I, I've said that have offended, I mean, I'm also a big proponent that says, if I, if I may have said something that uh, has offended you, I, I please accept my apology. But a part of me that says, uh, I'm not going to retract it because the, the fact that it's resonated with you and you've thought about it means either I've struck a chord right. or something very deep beyond the level of the surface is now being brought, being brought forward. All right. Well, I'm not going to apologize for interrupting you right now because uh, we are at two minutes here oh, and our that. producer will come in here and start bashing heads. I've seen him do it. It's not pretty. Uh, and uh, he's the voice to the Mets and you can't trust those Mets fans, as you know, uh, Father Phil. Uh, so They're better than Father Indians fans, but go ahead. Oh, come on. We're about to be the, the Cleveland Spiders. So let, let's get the name right. Um, so, um, all right. So, so Father Phil, what, give us some parting wisdom in, a, in the final moments of this, uh, of this radio show of really um, just summing up all the great wisdom here about for, for giving advice for leaders right now during, during this time for this weekend. Anyone, whether it's a rabbi, whether it's a lay leader, uh, a priest, a pastor who might be preaching, what, what, would be, what would be your guiding wisdom? If you want to show people that you love God, lo then love the people that the way that you express our love for God in, within the congregational context is how we love one another. And if we start there, we have so much that we can do. And if we don't have that, all the work we do is, is, is dross, is trash, is meaningless. It doesn't matter if we're not expressing our love for God by the way we live in love with one another. That is the guiding reality. This is beautiful stuff, man. Thank you so much. Uh, if people want to find more of you, uh, is there any social media handles they can to go to find a little bit more of a uh, father filibuster? Check out, check out Redeemer Cincinnati. We got a bunch of stuff on our website. We have an Instagram page. I do stuff on that. And um, I've got a blog that you can find there. I do a weekly office hours on YouTube. All the information is on our website, which is redeemer-cincy with a Y.org. Redeemer-cincy, C-I-N-C-Y.org. You go there, you can find all sorts of beautiful stuff and bet wonderful writings by other priests and people who are much smarter than me. And it's, we got a really wonderful congregation. So come check us out. Father Phil, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, for all of you listening right now, if you missed it, you can check out our podcast and you can download all episodes, like, share, subscribe, even leave horrible comments. It just helps our analytics. All right. God bless you all. We love you. We will see you soon back here on Friday on a priest and a rabbi. Peace.